Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're kicking off season three of the 100 Mass Men series this week, where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about self-identity, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. This week, we're challenging perspectives and approaches to communication. Mass Man number 52 is the Renaissance Man. A modern philosopher who spends a lot of time reading about the habits of successful people and incorporating them into his own life. He shares his perspective on what modern masculinity looks like and how most of us are too busy trying to be heard before we try to understand. I hope you enjoy the show. What is your routine, your typical routine? Um, wake up at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. and uh, get up immediately. And I do my, my affirmations and meditation. Then I do a workout. I do high-intensity in, high interval training. And then I do, depending upon how busy, 30 minutes to an hour of a weighted, a three-pound weighted jump rope. Mm. Then I, when I shower, I take a cold shower. All about mindset, the jump rope is too. And then I'm able to start my day on reading. I do 20 pages of whatever I'm reading that day. And then from there, I start my business day. I start with some team some team events that I do. And yeah, by the time noon comes around, I've already done a lot. So it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I saw on your Instagram that you were a fan of the 5am club. I love that book. Yeah. I've been, I've been, so I know the club, the book, I just Mm -hmm. read it recently, but I've been a part of waking up at that time for years now. And I agree with what, was shared in the book because I've seen those compounded results in my life over the last decade. What was your reason for choosing to do that? Because I think usually you have to be compelled to want to wake up that early. So what was the reason for you? The reason is I, I, I study what successful people have done. And one of the common denominators that I've seen is that they decided to wake up that uh, that early, whether they were in sports or like Kobe Bryant, or whether they were in business, they all had that in common. So I decided to adopt that philosophy as well. And it's worked out great. Cool. So why were you so interested in successful people? Oh, simply because uh, I wanted to see what commonalities they had, because uh, success is interesting to me. From a perspective, I realized that if you take away athletic gifts or talents, every single successful person is doing practically the same things. And it's one simple trick. They just got good at doing things that most people, the average person won't do. And they got consistent at it. One of those things was waking up early. And because I wanted to be successful in each aspect of my life, whether it's parenting or business or fitness, nutrition, I didn't want to be governed by the emotional swing that the average person has, where they have to feel motivated. What I found is it's a routine. People have become consistent at a routine. Those routines become habits and those habits govern the characteristics that shape your life. And so Mm -hmm. I decided to do it and I saw the same exact results. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I remember reading up on all that as well. 
And originally I was like, oh, you have to like feel passionate about the things that you do. Otherwise, that's an indicator that it's not really right for you. But I think that was just the wrong mindset that we were taught that you had to really, really like something like do what you love or whatever those concepts are when actually it's just like, if that's what you do want, like just continue to practice and practice until you're good enough to do it in your sleep, essentially. And I think um, I forgot which coach I was looking at, but basically it's about being dispassionate about what you're doing. It's about being able to continuously do something that's really boring. That's going to bring you true success. True. And, and there's, there are hacks to do that. So for instance, you know, with, with reading, I read uh, two books a month and that's just on with actual reading. And then there are several audibles, but that's easy. You know, you can uh, speed that up and read though, or listen to those in the car, things like that. But what I found is the average person says they, they would love to read more, but what they find is that they only want to read when they find something they enjoy, which means they, they are connected to their emotions. So if it's boring, they put it down. But I found that if I started out with 10 pages a day and then I got consistent with that habit, so I was able to digest no matter whether it was dry content or exciting content, 10 pages a day. And then I read or I learned from, what's his name, Dr. Quick on speed reading and comprehension. And so I decided to look into that and I was, in, I was able to increase it to 20 pages a day. And it's just the habit. So whether it's dry information or exciting, I'm still going to be able to digest it because it's not attached to an emotion. It's attached to the habit, which gets me to increase what I understand and know based on consistency versus feeling. You've been really focused on tactics to improve success based on routine. That's very logical. So if the goal was something a little bit more emotionally charged, like building a better relationship with yourself or with others, how would you adjust those tactics since you will have to be more in touch, more passionate versus being dispassionate? Okay. So let me be clear. Those habits allow me to be more aware. Okay. okay. So, so those habits allow me to consume and it allows me to grow who I am as a person. Now, when it comes to people, it's this exact same thing. If I want to learn about you, I'm going to be that intentional and that focused in the moment. That means I'm learning about uh, your likes, your dislikes. I'm very in the moment, whether it's the book reading or whether it's the workouts, but the habit of being in the present moment is also connected to every single one of those habits that I'm creating. So that allows me, it allows me in the moment to really see, hear, and understand you. And it's been very apparent, especially on Clubhouse, where I'm able to hear someone hear what they're saying, answer their questions specifically, and get to the root of what they're asking, where I've noticed a lot of people, when they answer questions, they run around in circles, mm -hmm. and they don't answer their questions specifically. So it's, it's helped me to clear out everything because it gives you a focus that is, I think, a side effect of really paying that much attention to your habits. 
that most people would not have have they not really analyzed their their routines, their habits, and done the introspection to figure out why and to get discipline behind it. So it gives me a little bit of an edge when it comes to connecting with people. Mm, nice. I, I think what you're saying is like you give yourself that space so that you can can hear better. Because I think if you're too wrapped up in whatever you're thinking, you're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so you can start talking and you're just like processing your response rather than listening, right? And I think that's that's typically the issue. Everyone's always just trying to be heard before they try to understand. Exactly. So you have to ask yourself, which I do with everything that I do before I start is why am I doing this and what am I trying to get out of it? So if it's a conversation, a conversation is not a debate. If it was a debate, that would be different. But in conversation, my goal is to learn where you're coming from, connect that to who you are as it relates to your experiences, your upbringing, your culture, your traumas, the way you cope. And when you're able to bring those things together with what you're saying, you get, you get more of the shape of what you're trying to get across, which allows me to understand more, then I can repeat the question to you just to make sure this is where you're coming from. And now I can internalize it and answer from a space of understanding or attempting to understand, which has always been a better conversation with me because maybe I can add some context. I can add some perspective and then ask, is, is this what you're getting at versus I understand what you're saying. Here's what you're saying, which is disrespectful for most people because then they don't feel heard. So it's, it's been, it's been interesting. I, I, I love communication. I love being able to learn about people and understand because as, as a human race, the more I learn about others, it gives me a different perspective to be able to shine a light on myself and understand myself even better. Yeah. I love that. I love how, how interested you are in communication. I think that's something that not a lot of people pay enough attention to. I've been looking at gender linguistics and just the way that men would talk to other men in comparison to how women would talk to other women and then where things would fall apart when men speak to words of women because we all speak a different language. And I think that, I mean, beyond just gender, there's there's layers of, of different backgrounds that make you speak a certain way. But generally with, with men, what I realized was there was a competitive aspect to it, like with, who's alpha and who's beta. And, and there was a ranking order. Um, whereas with women, it was more community-based. It was just like, collaborative. It was making sure that everyone felt the same way. And that's why it was kind of like me too, me too, me too. And then with men, it was like, oh, that's my story. Cool story, bro. Next story. You know, and it was always very individually led. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree or disagree on that concept? Or do you think that it's blending now differently uh, in the modern world today? I believe it's blending differently. I believe that was uh that was based on a construct and constructs are things that we create as human beings. Um, even the idea of 
which I think is really funny. The idea of alpha, beta, delta, gamma, all that stuff. There's another, there's another man, which is Sigma, which is, which is an alpha who doesn't play the game. And, and what I found is I've noticed everything that you've said, there is sometimes a pecking order, but that old rhetoric does not allow for men to listen and understand each other. And so I'm, I'm really not a part of that. But as far as with women, the me too can also be used to not hear people. So you, uh, what I've noticed when women communicate, they can often say me too and still have not heard that person because they group them into a category of an experience of their own without adding into the understanding of the difference where they're coming from. And so they don't hear. It's the same thing when, when you see men and women communicate. Um, I, I shared with a close friend of mine is the only superpower that I thought that I was blessed with was able, being able to observe. And I remember being four years old, observing my mother and father and saying, mommy, you didn't hear what daddy said. And daddy, you didn't hear what mommy said. Whether it's differences of where we come from Here's the truth. If you speak linguistically a different language, right? Mm -hmm. And I speak a different language. How do we come together to, to, to learn and understand each other? We find shapes. We find things in everyday life that is congruent, that is consistent with each other. We all hold it up and you'll say, this is a this. I'll say, oh, we call that this. So we find common ground and in that common ground, we start to learn each other's languages. That would be like men and women talking to each other. The problem is we don't do that. We come and we say, this is my experience. And so if I say trash is basura, then I'm arguing that it is only basura and not trash. And you're arguing that it's trash and no, I'm wrong. It isn't basura. Does that make sense? So we never see each other because we don't realize that we are seeing the exact same canister. We're just labeling it different because of our experiences. And because we can't see the canister, we'll never be able to communicate because we're not seeing how we're using this, a different word to mean the same thing, whether that's scientists arguing that there's no God and calling it energy, whether that are religious people arguing that it isn't energy, it's God. So whether it's, you know, religious people trying to say, no, energy is wrong, God is right, mm -hmm. or it was a big bang theory and, and, and religious people saying, no, it wasn't, it was God saying, let there be light. We're all describing the same thing, but we defend our words which language is clumsy at best to describe things that are really symbolism for ideas which are chemical releases in our brain. So it's very difficult if you come from a place of, here's what I call it versus, let me see what you're saying and how that relates to what I'm saying in my language, because we might be saying the same thing. And I think we're, we're too focused on, or we're too worried about the other person not getting it. 
So we kind of over explain and keep explaining and then you just continuously talk over and then they'll never have a chance to either affirm that what, what you're saying they agree with or match with. And I think that's, that's how that ultimately affects yourself. You know, you're, you're thinking like, oh, I can't communicate well enough, you know, and then there's just this, this new insecurity of like, maybe I'm not saying it right. Let me try again and again and again. And, um, if that's the only focus, you'll never even get to the point of whether or not they'll understand you. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's easier to come from a place I found of understanding the other person first, because if they feel heard, there's a reciprocity. There's like this reciprocation where if they feel heard, you're building up an account, like a bank account where they're making, where you're making deposits. And then they realize, oh my gosh, I haven't listened to this person. Now there's a yearning of wanting to hear where you're coming from because it feels so good when you're finally heard in a society where most people aren't really hearing us. Mm. Yeah. It's been, it's been weird. I, so I started this podcast, um, expecting not to learn anything. I didn't want to share the platform with men. I had a very hateful relationship with men. And I started this because I realized that I too was also being really toxic and only caring about one perspective and finding other people again, like with similar perspectives. And then there's no way to grow. So what I thought was really interesting is speaking to different men. I was like, oh man, like I can share these experiences now like commonalities with these guys that I never thought that I would be able to share with. I never thought they would feel the same way. And, and there's some experiences that I have no other friends or anyone else that I know that I could have, could have shared these experiences with, but now I can. So it's, it's kind of that openness and then, and realizing like, there's a lot more that we are in common with than, than we are apart. I agree. I agree. Men and women have so much in common. And again, it's yelling, uh, yelling about what you're labeling it or how you're explaining it or the traumas and triggers. One thing I realize is I don't hate racists. I don't. I understand them and I feel bad for them because they can only speak in their language without being able to understand anyone else. That is a very closed off way of thinking. I feel the same way about feminists. I feel the same way about Democrats and Republicans. What I do not like is the polarizing of of humanity because we aren't just this or just that. And when people get wrapped up in labeling themselves a specific group, they take on the same characteristics as racists. The only reason I use racist is because no one wants except no one wants to be called a racist. So if someone can see that they are, they have, they exude the same characteristics of a racist when they get wrapped in a group, then they wake up and say, holy crap, I haven't even been hearing what other people are saying because I'm so, uh, you know, I drew the line in the sand about this particular way of being. And now I'm only relating to that. I'm not relating to reality. I can't even see outside of my own movement. And when we do that, we become just as bad as a racist. Yeah. How did you come across changing your perspective to, or or coming across even 
having a perspective in that way. Cause it took me a while to, to notice that I was also acting very narrow minded because I was, I was trying to convince people to believe only my point of view. I refused to listen to anyone else. And it was kind of like, if you don't understand me, then, then we shouldn't talk. You know, it was, it was very all or nothing for me. And, and I was just, I was so hurt at the fact that no one wanted to understand and no one wanted to try to, to figure it out with me until I realized I was the one that was causing, causing that blockage, you know, and, and not allowing people to, to see where I was coming from because I was so forceful about it rather than, you know, coming through with love. And I think that was a huge thing I had to learn how to, how to show love and give love so that I could receive love back. What, did you have a tipping point or something that happened in your life that put you on this path to, to reconsider how you, how you think about the world? Honestly, I was, I was a weirdo ever since I was a kid. I always came with love. Um, I was an affectionate boy. I, I loved love. I still do. I got hurt a lot because I led with love with expectation and that caused resentment. So my path was a, my, you know, my journey was a little bit different. I always liked to see where people came from. I was the kid in high school who I had a popular group of friends just because uh, physically I appeared, I, I was, I guess, easy on the eyes in my high school. So mm -hmm. I was able to gravitate to a popular group, but I never just hung out with them. I, would, I was the kid that moved to different groups during, during lunchtime. So I would hang out with the jocks or I would hang out with who would be considered the nerds. And I would hang out with all because I love to understand. And I figured out that we were all practically the same. Mm -hmm. And so that never really happened. But what did happen is I got into, in 2006, my daughter was born. I got into network marketing because my job, I was working 80 to 90 hours a week. And I realized I bought into a mindset to condition people to work all of their lives. And it bothered me because I saw my father not in my life as much as I wanted because he was always working. And I realized the people that weren't like that were people who owned their own businesses or had residual income. So because I wanted to be a father that was in my daughter's life, I stepped into network marketing, even though MLM was looked at in a negative way. People called it a pyramid, things like that. And so I, I figured out something. Mm -hmm. As I went through my spiritual path, I saw evangelists that were brand new Christians okay. yelling their point of view and not being heard. And when I joined network marketing, I saw the same thing. I saw brand new network marketers who condemned jobs. They would say negative things like jobs are the journey of the broke or just over broke or jumping out of bed and all these things that were negative. And they would approach people with that same mindset as probably a new feminist would approach people. And people yeah. were turned off by it. People would run from new Christians the same way they would run from new feminists, new network marketers. And I realized it's because they were leading with what they knew versus leading with how does that person feel and wanting to understand. If you can't meet people where they're at, 
they will never follow you where you're going. So I learned that that way. And mm -hmm. so in network marketing, I wouldn't try to shove my company down people's throat. I would connect to them where they're at, whether it was common interests, common beliefs, and learn more about them. And then they would be interested in how I had time. And I was able to share with them that I did it through a company. And they're like, wow, I'd love to hear more about that. I found out the same thing applies in every aspect of humanity. And so if you can let go of what you believe, even with racists, during the George Floyd a year ago, George Floyd mm -hmm. uh, situation, I actually spoke with a few racists because I wanted to understand. And instead of being emotionally immature and being triggered by the fact that they're racist, I had to detach that emotion from it to try to understand where they were coming from. Because even though I didn't like them, I have to love human beings as, as a whole. And if we can't love people, even when they're hateful, there's no way of helping to fix the next generation because we shut ourselves off from the idea that they're salvageable. That's the difference. So um, for me, that path led in a different way. And it didn't come from being closed off. It came from always loving people and then trying to figure out how I could bring all these people together versus having them only see the small differences that they all have. How did you maintain that level of humility and positivity? Like, I mean, most people would be very jaded, very guarded. So how, I mean, you said that you love a lot and you've been hurt a lot. So how did you not let that go and then still have that openness in your heart? By stepping outside of myself. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is realizing that I could not truly understand love without hurt or loss, how mm -hmm. I couldn't truly understand oneness without seeing division. These things are the way we understand. There's always different sides to the, the entire whole. Uh, I lost my father in 2018 from pancreatic cancer. And in losing my father, I understood other sides of how much I love my father because of his absence. So it takes, uh, it takes a person kind of like how you shared with, with communicating, right? You mm -hmm. said in order to communicate, what do you have to do? You have to be able to step back and not respond. You have to understand, right? Well, look at, look at these same, these same situations or the same ideas that we, we battle or we fight against as the same way. You're, you are communicating to those. So in order to really truly communicate, instead of being triggered and wanting to, to respond because you're upset, what do you have to do? Treat it like another human being. Take a step back, understand why you're triggered, it's probably not because of the situation. It's probably because of a bunch of other things, like the fact that I've been living as a Black man for 40 years, and I've seen all this nonsense even before cell phones were able to capture it. And I have to be able to say, well, is being angry about it or having a war against racism going to fix it? There is no war on anything that has ever fixed anything in the entire uh, existence of humanity. 
The only thing that has is love and understanding and compassion. And when, when I realized that, there was no reason to approach. But as a human being, if I did get upset, what I, and I'll give you a little trick I've done, what I do is I'll rub in between my, my thumb and my pointer finger if I'm feeling upset. I've created a habit of doing that. And what that does is it allows me to be aware of it, not to push my anger away, but to allow it to move through me and ask myself why. And in the, and in the question, I find the answer and I'm able to calm down and listen to understand. How did you come across that tactic? Reading. Yeah. And that's, the, and that's what, I, what I mean by it. So personal development, reading two books a month, creating that habit allowed me to bring into my consciousness so many different valuable, valuable thought leaders, right? So many mm -hmm. different ideas that were profound, useful, and have already created results in the form of success. Not just success, how we think of it as in money, but in the way you live, the way you think, how you feel, and the way you connect the two. And in learning and reading, I found ways to be able to cope just like that. Dr. Dispenza talks a lot about the brain. And in reading his books, I found ways to create the results I want. Uh, reading books on psychology and the way we process our emotions allowed me to learn about figuring out a way to stop that trigger. And so it really is what we've all been put on this planet to do, whether anybody wants to believe it or not, it's to experience and to understand. So that's been a journey of mine, but I've been able to turn over these rocks from the books that I've read and the people that I've listened to in the personal development space. That's so cool. I, I remember I, I had to pivot my business because I was in the hospitality space. So last year I had to, to basically just completely change my business. And for a period of time, like last summer, I was like, I guess a modern day philosopher, you know, every day I just go out, take a walk, sit in the park and read because I didn't know what else to do. And, and I don't think we've had that opportunity to just have a rest. You know, we're so used to the hustle and everything that we see is about the hustle, you know, like even podcasts and clubhouse and everyone, it's always like self-promotion, how to get there faster, you know, all of these ways to do things quicker, better. And not, none of it has, has enough pull where it's like, how do I even know if this matters? People are just kind of like moving blindly. So what would you say to people that are just like, well, I need to be busy. I need, I can't not be busy. I feel useless if I'm not busy or I'm not productive if I'm, you know, sitting in, in space. And, you know, I think cause you're, you've, you've been part of the 5am club for longer than I have at least, you know, and, and noticing that like when you're up earlier, you have more time. So you, you, you can enjoy the nothingness. And I don't think a lot of people understand what that means. Well, I think you just answered it. Um, yeah, a lot of people learned how to do it during the pandemic, right? But what, I've, what, what you and I have noticed and what I've noticed myself is that that time, I've always had it at 5 a.m. 
I've always had it in my day. I've always had the, that ability to recalibrate. And to the people that say, no, they have to keep going, 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 they're never going to achieve the success that they truly want in their life because they're going to create a situation of burnout. And there's a burnout, and then there's a spiral, and then there's a coming back. It's almost like yo-yo dieting. And so you never continue to move forward. You're always falling back and in a worse scenario through burnout and depression and then trying to climb out. So I would say if that's working for them, that's their experience and that's fine. But if they find themselves with a void, then it might be a good time to reevaluate how they're doing things. I, I will never force it on people. But I recommend that people look at the most successful people in the areas they want to be successful in, whether it's health and nutrition or, or fitness or finance or parenting, and then see what they do. And I've always said this, emulate or duplicate what they're doing. And once you can get the same results, then add your own flair to it. But a lot of times in the process, you'll see, oh my gosh, these are the areas where I wasn't, I didn't even know that I didn't even know. There's so much that we don't know, but there's even 10 times more of the things that we don't even know that we don't even know. So you can never see those if you're always in your own mind. If you can't get out and connect with a mastermind group of people that are way ahead of where you want to be, if you can't emulate what they're doing, you'll never be able to take that step back and reset and, and, and move forward in the way you want. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's possible for most co corporate Americans because most of them live in distract. Uh, they, they, they're, they're distracted. They go to work. They come home. They watch Netflix. They play video games. And they wake up every five years out of a slumber we call autopilot and say, oh my gosh, time's going by so much faster now, not realizing it's because they're not in the present. So I really don't know if, if, there's, a, if there's a way to, or you know, a, a say, hey, let's do this and you'll figure it out. Because I think some people are caught in their loops and the only people that, they, that can snap them out are themselves. And it's usually through, through a, trauma, a traumatic experience or hitting rock bottom that's usually the only thing that wakes people up. Yeah. I think um, there's, there's that mentality of like, you got to do it yourself and, and go through all the motions yourself and, and find your own, own way. And I think that's a way that people self-identify through those, those traumas and be like, oh, well, this is my story. This is my journey. This is the tipping point, And this is why I do it this way. Yet, you know, there's a million books of, of teachings that show the way without you having to experience it yourself, you know, cause if you, if you follow that mentality, everyone has to crash and burn like 20,000 times until they can achieve a fulfilling life. So what are some things that you've learned from other people that you didn't have to learn yourself that you're grateful for? Oh, this is a big one. And I was uh, touching on it. My aunt, when I was, when I was in high school, my best friend and I, we used to, we used to help set up people's sound systems in their trunks so they could irritate all the neighbors in the neighborhood, right? <laughs> and, uh -huh. uh, 
And it was, you know, dealt with technology. We'd run cable. We would, we would have to understand what to do. And my aunt, she was in technology. She was a telecom technician. And one day before winter break, she looked at what we're doing and she said, hey, do you want to work with me during your break? And I said, sure. I said, wait, but what, what time? And she said, you probably six o'clock in the morning. I said, no, thank you. And then she told me it would be something like $22 an hour. And in 1996, that's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'll do it. Now, I remember the day like yesterday, we pulled up to this unassuming business park, double doors at this, this place. It didn't look like anything, but when we walked up, there was key card access and there, was, there were vents close to the rooftop and you could hear this constant hum of machinery. And she looked at me and she said, before we go in here, I need you to understand something. I'm going to introduce you to people who have certain skill sets in telecom and all I, I don't need you to bring your brilliance into the equation. All I need you to do is leave that at the door and soak up what they're going to teach you like a sponge. And then when you can do the skill set the way that they can do it, at that point, you can add your own flair to it. And she said, that's the reason why I went from being a deli manager at a grocery store to being the fastest to get to lead technician in this company. And so I followed it and she was right. Here's what most people do. They go in saying, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then they don't know what was success. They don't know what was an experiment and what worked. And so now they spend double or triple the time trying to figure out what worked versus what didn't when they could have just humbled themselves and followed what others did, get it, and then add theirs. And so that's the biggest thing that I recommend to people. Humble yourself. Identify the person or the people that are getting the results you want in any area in your life. Master it the way they do it. And then add your brain thoughts and ideas to the equation, and you'll be able to tweak and have even more success because you added yours. You can do that through books, through audios, or a mentor that is living and breathing, or a mentor from afar. But that's, in my opinion, the best way to do it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny. It's easier said than done, right? Like, I think a lot of us have, have trouble asking for help or admitting that we need help, right? Um, that's an insecurity. I, I think that mm. if you read every successful person, including, you know, a lot of people talk about Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, right? Yeah. If you look at Napoleon Hill, what did he do? He interviewed the most successful people of his time. He, in, 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 in a sense, was asking for help. See, the, 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 the issue is, is we have insecurities that we were taught because of a flawed educational system that said, if you pass the test, you're successful. Even though in real life, you're tested first, and that's how you learn the lesson. It's the complete opposite. 
So we, we, we come out with this flawed idea of, of learning when we weren't being taught, we were being educated and we had to push forward to, to hit a certain number, which was re, uh, memorization and regurgitation. And the people who got Fs were laughed at. So we don't want mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and look at a cer- looked at a certain way. So that insecurity comes with us because it's taught to us through education into our day-to-day lives. And so we never really get to our where we need to go because we don't even know the true equation of success. Here's what it is. Failure over time gives you the information to correct. And through that correcting process, you have the knowledge to be successful. It's through failure, whether it's somebody else's failure, we call that what other people's knowledge or through your own. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to ask for help because they don't want to be looked at as a what? Failure, even though failure is necessary in every equation to success. So we have a flawed thought process of what success is because we were educated on something that it isn't. I think uh, another cool thing is, is recognizing the power of information over action, you know, by collecting that information from, from other people's stories or from examples, that's information and, and, you know, literal evidence of proof points that this is the right direction or the wrong direction, rather than kind of taking the active approach, the performative approach of like, oh, I got to do it and see it through. And then I'll have the example because there's no better proof than your own personal experience. And I think that's another thing that whether you call education or, or societal expectations of, of being, um, if you're more performative or action-based or outcome-based, then, then your actions are more important than those that are just here to collect information. Like, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a stigma there, especially since I started, you know, kind of doing this little case study of my own, there, there was a, a lot of pressure to, to make it more actionable than, you know, just the information itself. Right. Here's one thing I, I've learned. You're absolutely right. The, 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 the one problem is, and what I've noticed about education, the fear, people want to learn everything before they get started because they're afraid of failure. The problem is you can go on YouTube and watch every video on how to ride a bike. You can read every detailed example of what balance feels like, but that won't give you the tools to be able to ride a bike successfully the first time you ride. You actually need to do it. And that's where the disconnect is in most people. They will be the most informed people but they never venture out and do it for fear of ridicule, fear of uh, failing. And that fear of failing stops them from realizing the information in action, which is realizing their potential. They will always be potential and they'll never realize it if they don't move forward and actually get on the bike. Yeah. That that's another one in terms of like movement. I guess what I was talking about earlier was like, um, there's not a lot of respect for for knowing things before you start. And then there's the others that are like super smart and all they do is inform themselves, but then never take action. So right. there's kind of both ends to that. Yeah. The uh, what's it called? The professional student. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I wanted to to wrap up here because as as we're talking, it, this has been this has been such a cool chat. I don't think I've spoken to someone like you that I feel like has done similar work like I have in in terms of like reading a lot and readjusting strategies and routines and really having a a thought process on your yourself and your body in that sense and and your brain activity. Usually the people that I talk to have always had a a specific perspective that was driven by their personal experiences rather than having a, a more objective approach. So I'm going to leave you with this question of, um, you know, what kind of man do you see yourself wanting to be? And do you see yourself on that route or off of it? That's another awesome question. Um, and it's something that I've thought about a lot. And I think about each day you know, a little bit here and there to make sure that I'm on that path. And the man that I want to be, I want to be a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today while appreciating the man that I am today. The truth is I am a human being and a human becoming. And those can sometimes argue with each other if you don't let go and fall in love with the process. So in the process, on the outer edges of my day-to-day world, I'm always thinking, what can I do today that's going to help me to become a better version of who I am yesterday and be grateful for the boy who's gone through all the struggles, all the victories, all the traumas to get us to where we are right now. And if I can continue to do that, that would create the butterfly effect to impact my daughter, my family, ultimately my community, my city, and move out into the, into the world. So that is as simple as it sounds, the way that I do that. That's amazing. I love that. It's not at all what I expected to hear. So I think that's really cool. And I want to, I just want to ask you one last question. I know we covered a lot of things today. Is there anything that jumped out at you from today's conversation that you'd like to invite another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Yeah, um, I would love, I, yeah, of course. I would love to see what their, what their idea of a modern Renaissance man looks like because we have, we have ideas of it in the past. We have ideas from... You, you know, from the Greek philosophers, we have ideas of that when it comes to the French Renaissance. But here in modern times, what is a modern Renaissance man look like to you? What does it look like for you? It looks like compassion, emotional intelligence, pers- perseverance, and the ability to communicate. Those things all put together, I think, that would move no matter what space you're in to become a Renaissance man, not fitting yourself in a mold, but bringing you, your, your DNA, a hundred percent of it to whatever it is. So you can be the full expression of that thing only the way that you can. So I, I don't see it in the mm-hmm. old standard of, um, you know, men have to do this or men have to do that. It's more of, bringing 100% of your authenticity, your, your caring, your loving, your, your, your hurt, your everything to the, um, 
to the to the task at hand. That's what that's that's the way I would see it. This was an interesting conversation as I feel like it was very objective, where most of our interviews get pretty wrapped up in personal experiences. How do you feel about this man's response in comparison to the usual suspects? Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.